We've been going through an expository series on the book of James. We're in week five, and expository means we're going verse by verse through the book of James. However, we're, we're uh, taking verses that are dealing with particular topics, and we're moving them together. So we're not going chapter one through chapter five. We are kind of jumping through it and putting verses together that deal with the same sorts of things. So last time we talked about not being polluted. James said that religion that God our Father uh, you know, accepts as pure and faultless is this, that we look after widows and orphans in their distress and we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. And so last week we talked about not being polluted by the world and in James I saw four different ways that we can resist being polluted by the world because the pollution of the world comes to you, right? You don't have to go looking for it. It will come to you. And so the pollution of the world, of course, the just classic sinfulness, you know, slipping into your normal sins of the world, uh, that desire gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, uh, results in death. We want to avoid those classic sins, keep our hearts pure. Then James talked about bitter envy and selfish ambition when just uh, garden variety pride isn't dealt with in our lives and we bring it into our adulthood and we just let it continue to flourish. It can become bitter envy and selfish ambition. And then we want to push other people down so that we can get ahead. We feel jealous of what other people have when we don't. And that's a very dangerous situation to have in our heart. And then the third uh, way we can be polluted is when that bitter envy and selfish ambition infiltrates the church and we get strife in the church and that's a disaster. Then we've got real, real problems. And then the last uh, thing we talked about last week with regards to not being polluted by the world is since we live in such a dark, evil world, we need to keep our hearts soft and merciful and loving And if we are not careful, our love will grow cold and we will become jaded and judgmental and bitter as we look at this world. So what we want to do is realize that mercy triumphs over judgment. James, in all of his straightforward harshness, proclaims mercy triumphs over judgment. Hallelujah for that. We need to keep merciful hearts in the midst of a difficult world. Amen? We forgive. We offer kindness, love, and mercy. We don't want to be hardened and uh, embittered by this dark world. This week, we talk about no favoritism. James has a big problem with worldly hierarchies being imposed on spiritual relationships. So let's pray, and we will get into new material this morning. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy and kindness and love again. And, Father, I thank you that you don't leave us here to just wander around and try to figure it out. But, Lord, you guide us by your Holy Spirit and you guide us by your word. Father, help us to see what you've got for us today in your scriptures. Lord, each one of us is in a different place in life. We're fighting different parts of the battle and we need a different touch from you. And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us with exactly what we need to be able to believe in you better, our faith would grow, to be able to serve you more effectively, and Lord, just to be able to take a step up in whatever area we need to take that step. So, Father, bless our time this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Amen. So James, as we've talked about, is not a huge fan of hypocrites. He calls them out. And one of the things that he's very concerned about is worldly hierarchies being imposed on spiritual relationships. So in this world, there are socioeconomic, there are uh, there are class hierarchies, there are race hierarchies. People judge people and they put them in, you know, above or below and they move people around. And there's the worldly hierarchies, but then there's the spiritual relationships. And if we impose worldly hierarchies on spiritual relationships, it messes it all up. Because in God's eyes, people line up differently than they do in the world's eyes. Amen? So if we, as the church, as believers, line people up in a worldly way, then we are going against the plan of God. And we don't want to do that. So let's read in James, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, about favoritism. So, very straightforward. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. So are we supposed to show favoritism if we're believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? No, no favoritism. Very important. We must be fair. We must be straightforward. Favoritism can go in a few different ways. It can be where you advance someone beyond what they should get and leave somebody else out. It can also be uh, reverse favoritism where you put somebody down who shouldn't be put down and uh, you don't allow them opportunities. So we're not supposed to show favoritism. Verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. So what is this talking about? It's talking about how the greeters should behave in church. How the ushers should ush in a Sunday morning service. That's what ushers do. (laughs) They ush. They're ushers, right? I don't know. I'm doing the best I can. Last night, I called it Hurricane Hugo the whole night long. So I'm doing pretty good today. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So what James is saying is, okay, yeah, there's somebody at the top of the socioeconomic food chain. And if you, as a church, treat those people better than you treat other people, then you're missing the spiritual relationship. You're imposing a worldly hierarchy on spiritual relationships. And that's just, it's wrong. It's a miss. It's off. We can't have that. We must treat people fairly, not show favoritism. Now, whose job is this? Again, we've talked about greeters and ushers. Should we just sit back and say, yeah, those greeters and ushers, man, they're going to have to face the Lord. Uh, Or is this maybe dealing with everybody, all believers in church and not in church, right? Now, so in church, whose job is it to make the new visitor feel welcome, to know the love of God? It's everybody's job. If you go visit a church on vacation, you're somewhere else, you can go greet somebody at that church and make them feel welcome. You can do that the first time you show up. Because the love of God is universal and we can show that love wherever we're at. It's everybody's job. So if we sit back and, yeah, they should love people. Yeah, they, I'm in the they. You're in the they if you're a believer. 
Be part of the they. Recognize that you're in that and start loving people. You don't want to be a judge with evil thoughts. That's a disaster. Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Have you ever met somebody at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder who is rich in faith? I knew a guy years ago. I mean, he was at the very bottom. He could barely. Anyway, he was at the very bottom. Just let your mind go wild with that. But he had a little book. And it was his prayer book. And if you had a prayer request, he would write it in that book and he would pray. And let me tell you, if you got something in that book, you were set. Because God was going to answer that man's prayer. Because he was going to keep at it till it happened. If you got your prayer, we got a building for a church because we got it in his book. He didn't have 15 cents to spend on anything. We got the prayer in that book. Boom. Done. Uh, You know, it's amazing how God will use people that uh, in this world we would not expect anything from. And so we as believers need to recognize that there are people that don't line up in the hierarchy of this world, but who are mighty in faith, mighty in the eyes of God, and who are very powerful in their service to the Lord. Verse 6, but you have insulted the poor. How have they insulted the poor? Well, if they made him sit on the floor, you sit at the floor by my feet. You know, chairs are for paying customers. You sit on the floor. That would be an insult. You don't look cool enough. You don't look like you've got enough money. You're on the floor. That's amazing. But you have insulted the poor. It is, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to who you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So is favoritism okay in the eyes of God? No, very strong. You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder, If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. How many people have heard this before, that if you break one part of the law, you've broken all of it? Did you know that reference was towards favoritism in the church? Don't show favoritism. That's the reference of if you break one part, you've broken all of it. Don't show favoritism. So it's very, very important for us as a church, for us as individuals, to not show favoritism. Favoritism is giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. So it can be the emphasis of lifting somebody up in a way they shouldn't be, or the emphasis can be pushing someone down in a way they shouldn't be. Either way, it's favoritism. How many people have had bad experiences with favoritism in their life? Kind of a bummer, isn't it? When favoritism comes in, it's no longer fair. Your opportunities are taken away. It's a bad deal. We cannot have that in the kingdom of God. Does Jesus show favoritism towards people? Of course not. He's no respecter of persons. And so we must, as believers, represent the character of God in that same way. 
So with regards to, uh, you know, Good Hope Church policy and procedure, avoiding favoritism is a very big deal. It's a very important. I take it very, very seriously. We must avoid favoritism. And I'm going to do my very best to create fair systems to be able to advance people in their service of the Lord. You know, we've got the little volunteer fair in the back, you know, sign up. Uh, go ahead and, and we'll help you through that process. Now we're still going to, uh, advance people based on their consistency of participation, their character and their gift sets, right? I mean, just cause you want to do something doesn't mean you get to do it. You have to have the gifting. You have to have the character. You have to have the, the, the ability to consistently show up for things. You know, these are very, very important pieces of the puzzle. And that's part of being fair as well, is that if the the opportunities aren't given to people who don't prove themselves worthy of it, we have to be fair. Now, with that being said, you know, we'll give you opportunities as best as we can. Please do not hide. That's why we have the signups. If you've been thinking to yourself, you know, it'd be really great if I could step out in this area, but you have just never said anything. That's a, it's not going to happen, right? Uh, there's certain things I can do, but I can't tell what you're thinking. I'm not real good at that. So go ahead and sign up. It's very important. Don't hide. Now, I became a Christian in 1988 and it took me, and I was absolutely obsessed with the things of God from day one. And it took me 12 years to become a pastor. I cleaned the toilets. I taught third and fourth grade boys Sunday school. I did, I did whatever needed doing. 12 years. I thought I was ready in five. Took seven more. <laughs> it's a process. Don't think things just happen instantaneously. It's a process. We learn, we grow. I thought I was waiting on God. God was waiting on me. And that's a lot of how it is in our service of the Lord. We think, you know, how come God isn't giving me this opportunity? Well, he's waiting for you to develop in character. He's waiting for you to develop in various ways. Uh, and so we must prove ourselves able to do what he's called us to do. And then let me tell you, the opportunities jump in. So how do we deal with these worldly hierarchies versus the spiritual ones? A few more verses in James. Let's go to chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. You know, there's good pride and there's bad pride. You know, there's the, uh, the pride we talked about that develops into selfish ambition and bitter envy. There's that. But then there's the whole thing of being content with who you are as a person. Being uh, happy with the quality of the work that you've done. There's nothing wrong with being happy that you did something well. That's not bad. That's good. So we use the same word and it can be kind of difficult. And here is the same thing. It's not this ugly stinking pride that James is talking about. But what James is saying here is if you are at the bottom of the food chain in society, you should take pride in the fact that through God, you are not at the bottom of the food chain. You may be down here in the eyes of men, but God sees you differently. Take pride in your high position. Your position in the kingdom of God, your position in the family of God is higher than your position in society. So hallelujah for that. 
I was going to look at a scripture talking about uh, masters and slaves and how the Bible says now, masters, you be good to your slaves because the, the one who is the master of both of you is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. So yeah, you get to push your advantage in this life, but there's going to be a day where you're going to be on equal footing and you're going to have to face the Lord. So very significant. If you're at the bottom, take pride in your high position. Verse 10, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. I'm thinking James probably wasn't a real great fundraiser. You know, because, dude, uh, and, and we're going to get into some even tougher ones. But James here, what he's saying is, if you are the captain of the football team and you rule the school, understand that's only going to last a little while. If you own the biggest business in the United States and you got every, you're set financially, that's only going to last a little while. You know, you're the prettiest girl and everybody likes you. That's great. That's only going to last a little while. Now, of course, the poor man's going to fade away while he goes about his business as well, but he's not trusting in his poverty, right? But the rich man may trust in his riches. The talented football player may trust in their abilities. And so we need to understand, okay, it's neat that I can do this. It's neat that I'm in this position. But this world and all its things are going to fade away. And so understand where we are in the true hierarchy of things in Christ. Amen? Ooh. Which is more important, this life or the next? Next one's a big deal. Which is more important, our comfort or God's eternal plan? God's plan. So if we have to choose between the two, we must choose God's things versus our comfort. We must choose eternity over what's temporary. However, people can be under the impression that they have to choose between a good life now versus a good life later. Like they can't have both. Like if I'm going to truly serve God, I have to live a miserable life. However, uh, you know, then I get to go to heaven. But if I get to have fun now, then, you know, the afterlife is going to be tough. So maybe I'll serve the devil for a while and hopefully repent later, and then I'll get the best of both worlds. It's kind of how people think sometimes. But the reality is, once you give up your life, you give it to Christ, you get rid of that pride, selfish ambition, bitter envy. Once you lay your life down, then sometimes, depending on the, the era you live in, you may be able to have both. I believe in the United States in 2017, we have as good a shot as anybody at having abundant life now and everlasting life in the future. Amen. Because we get to choose. We are living in a free society. We have economic freedoms. We have social freedoms. We can move wherever we want. We don't have to fill out a form and try to get permission from the government to move to another town. We, we have freedoms here in this nation. It's fantastic. And so as we serve God, we lay our, our lives before him. Then, hey, there's times we can just step right into abundant life and have everlasting life, be in the center of God's will and be living in the, the joys of this life. We can have both. Now, doesn't it seem like, though, that James is singling out rich people? You know? Put that verse, uh, second to the last one, 
back up there. James 1.10. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, 1.10. There we go. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. Guess what's going to happen to you, rich people? Everything's going to go away. Well, let's read James 5. It's way harsher. All right? Let's get a let's get a look at this. James 5 verse 1. Now listen you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Again, this wouldn't go well at the fundraising dinner. You know? Verse 2. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, isn't this real strong? It keeps going. Verse five, verse four. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Now we're starting to get a peek into what's going on here. You know, there's different types of rich people. There's the ones who exploit, who crush others for their own personal gain. And then there's the ones who are just living life to the full, who are really smart and who are able to put things together and just are very successful. But they're not hurting other people. James is talking about the ones who, they don't care who they hurt, they're going to get what they want. Verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. So this is, uh uh-oh, John's up for the promotion. I want that promotion. What am I going to do? Well, I know that if I spread a rumor about John and the boss's wife, that then John's not going to get the promotion. So, and then I'll be the next one in line. So I'll get it. So start spreading these rumors, start condemning and murdering here. It says men who are innocent and not opposing you. Then that's the sort of getting ahead that James is very upset with. He does not like that type of getting ahead. And of course, it's a deep evil. It's darkness. It's bad news. We don't want to be like that. But is the problem having money? So a willingness to hurt anyone for your own gain is a problem. That's weep and wail because of the misery coming upon you. However, there are other types of rich people, rich people who are like Job. Let's read Job 1.1. Job 1.1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Now he had 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. He was doing really, really, really well. He was the richest man in his region. And he was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He was a good guy. God was not opposed to Job, and James was not angry with Job either. In fact, we look at James chapter 5, verse 11, and we see this. So now we're back in the book of James, the the weep and wail one. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So is James in favor of people like Job? Absolutely. 
The richest man in his region who persevered under significant trial. And then the Lord finally brought something about in his compassion and mercy. What did the Lord finally bring about? Let's go to Job chapter 42, starting in verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep instead of 7,000. He doubled 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels. That's 20,000 animals. That's pretty good in the economy of the day. Imagine the chores in the morning at Job's house. A thousand yoke of oxen, a thousand donkeys. He had, his whole family was restored. He had seven sons and three daughters, the same he had before. And his daughters were so awesome that Job gave, gave them an inheritance just like the sons. So 10 inheritances went out. In those days, of course, the women didn't get an inheritance, but Job's daughters did. And so God blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. Job was not in a weep and wail because of the misery coming upon you. You know, you've condemned and murdered innocent men. That wasn't Job. He was someone who had great farming capacity, incredible business acumen towards the raising of sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys. He was very good at that. And he didn't hurt other people. And God blessed him. So it isn't that that's the problem. The problem is unfairly exploiting your advantage and harming others for personal gain. Just because we have an advantage in this world doesn't mean we get to press it as believers. Sometimes we show kindness. You know, we don't get to exploit people in this life as believers. So next question, does God treat everyone equally? Let's go to Matthew 25, 28 and 29. So this is the parable of the talents. Does God treat everyone equally? Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten. So the guy who had the one who hid it and brings the one back versus the guy who had five turned it into ten. And so they all come before the master And the master says, take the one that that guy's got and give it to the guy who has 10. Verse 29. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. Does God treat everyone equally? Well, it's a little complicated. The answer is yes. If you're diligent, you'll be treated like the guy who had the 10. If you're irresponsible, you'll be treated like the one that had the one. God is fair. God treats everyone equally. However, God doesn't grade on a curve. And we can get under the impression because of God and his great mercy that we can just abuse God's mercy and we don't have to worry about what he's going to do because guess what? You know, we can do everything wrong and God is just going to take care of all the problems. Well, if you repent, he will. If you don't, he'll treat you how he, teats, how he treats unrepentant people. Because that's fair. But everyone can repent. The access to the forgiveness of God is available to every human being on the planet. Go ahead and ask for forgiveness, repent, and change. And guess what? You get to walk into the blessings of God. But if we refuse, even what we think we have, 
will be taken away. If we lean into the things of God, God keeps pouring things into us. Amen? If we want to understand the scriptures, God reveals more and more. If we push God's things away, what happens? It's like God backs off and we're walking on our own. And then we get confused. We start running into trouble. It's very dangerous. Jesus is not a pushover. The offer of forgiveness is there, but he's not going to force forgiveness on you. So, let's read this quick. Romans 2, 6 through 11. God is fair, this type of fair. Romans 2, 6 through 11 type of fair. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism, but a man reaps what he sows. So what we need to sow towards God is repentance. What we need to sow towards God is a desire to be forgiven, is is submission to God, submission to God's ways. Then when we humble ourselves before him, he lifts us up. He does that for everybody. There isn't anyone who, if they go before God with a repentant heart and submit to God, that he won't lift them up. He'll do that for everyone. He is fair. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up and the ushers up. This is the first weekend of the month. We receive communion on the first weekend. If you would like to receive communion at Good Hope Church, go ahead and receive communion. You don't have to be a member or anything along those lines. But the one thing I do ask is make it real between you and God. If you're not ready to take communion this morning, just pass. It's all good, but make it real. Make it a true acknowledgement of what Jesus has done, remembering what he's done, honoring Jesus for his uh, sacrifice on the cross. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is that we don't get to play favorites with bad people because they've got a worldly advantage. Instead, we need to be honest and true about where people are in their relationship with the Lord. So when we play favorites, like how James is talking about, oh, this person is rich, so... We're just going to let a bunch of stuff go because the church wants their money. You know, that's a disaster. It's an unhealthy power structure. There's all the other reasons why people are given advantages. You know, it's not just if they're rich, maybe they're super talented. Um, Maybe they're a friend or a family member. Uh, There's different reasons why people are advantaged. And we need to make sure that those unhealthy power structures don't seep into the church, into our families, into our businesses. It's a disaster. But here's something else. There's a second danger. If you play favorites with somebody because you just love them so much, you might fool them into thinking they're set when they're not. The the great high school quarterback who doesn't have to do his homework because he's really good at football, and so... He never has to study. He never has to do anything. He's always taken care of. 
What happens to him when he graduates from high school? He gets cast aside because he's no longer valuable. He's been fooled into thinking that because of his talent, everything's going to work out for him. Then he finds the harsh reality that once he can't benefit somebody else, he's cast aside. If you show favoritism towards your kids and you make sure that everything works for them, even when they're going the wrong direction, you'll fool them into thinking that it's always going to work out because of how great they are. Don't fool them into that. Don't do that to somebody you love. Help them to see that God does not show favoritism. So when we do right by God, he blesses us. When we push away, then we have the consequences. Let them see that. Since God doesn't play favorites, I want you to hear this. Since God doesn't play favorites, you have as much access to the grace of God as any human being that's ever lived. Since God doesn't play favorites, you, whoever you are, wherever you are in the socioeconomic ladder, you have as much access to the grace of God as any human being that has ever lived. Let's take advantage of that. Let's read Galatians 3. 26 and 29 as our closing scripture. For all are sons of God. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So this is the people who have made a decision To follow Christ, they've then been clothed with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I want you to imagine the culture that this was written in. Was there a difference between Jew and Greek in this culture? Oh man. Was there a difference between slave and free? Oh yeah. Was there a difference between male and female? Here in the scriptures, it says it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the top of the food chain or the bottom. It doesn't matter if you're the smartest or you can't even tie your shoes. It doesn't matter who you are. If you have laid yourself before Christ, you are clothed in Christ, and you're all the same. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Jew or Greek, if you've got a spiritual heritage or you're just a first generation believer like me. If you're the business owner or you're somebody who's unemployed. If you fit into a category that society lifts up or you're in a category that society pushes down, you're a child of Abraham. You're an heir with the promise. You have been washed by the blood of Christ and healed by his stripes and brought into an inheritance. Oh my goodness. To have that inheritance. 
Let's pray together. Let's receive communion, understand what Jesus has done for us. But if you have felt the rejection of this world, understand that it doesn't matter what this world sees. It matters what the Lord sees. And if he sees someone who's asked for forgiveness, who has stepped into that relationship to serve the living God, then you are an heir, a co-heir with Christ of the great promises of God. So let's pray together and receive communion. Then I'll open up the front for personal prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord. Lord, that you love us, each one. And that, Father, you are no respecter of persons. You do not play favorites. And so, Lord, each one of us has as much access to you as any human being, anyone on the planet. If this world has rejected us, let us not own that. Let us not believe that. Let us refuse that as the lie that it is. But know that, Lord Jesus, you love us, and you will not push us down. But when we reach out to you, you will lift us up. And so, Lord, thank you for what you did in your sacrifice to redeem us, to pay the price, pay the wage, so that we could be set free. We thank you for it, and we will honor you for what you've done. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ, which was broken for you. Thank you, Lord. And this is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. Thank you, Lord, that you don't push us aside. You love us, you forgive us, and you bring healing. Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, I pray that we would have a joy knowing that we are loved by you, that cannot be shaken by this world. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to share your love with each person that needs it in this world. So bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.